following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Lord, would you quicken today this word in our hearts and in our spirits? Lord, there are so many things happening. So much of the world clawing at us. Lord, would you just put a 
a wall of fire around this church right now. And guard our minds and our hearts and let us hear your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The message today is the making of a man. The making of a man. Every man goes where his love carries him. I want to say that again. Every man goes where his love carries him. If the world has your love, you will go to the world. If Jesus or truth has your love, that's where you will go. But it's not that simple. Because we have many loves. And so we're very splattered. We love this activity and we love this person and we love this feeling and we love this adventure and we love, we love, we love everything in America. We hate almost nothing. And we've been raised in America to go for the gusto. Get get as much out of life as you can get. And people say to me, Pastor, I work hard and I play hard. So we want the toys to play with. We want the places to go. And so our love is so spread that to begin a serious conversation about where you are would require us to speak about the widespread places where your tentacles reach. And in every one of those places, you're gaining nurturance for your soul. When I was a kid farming... You dig a plant up, and there are the main roots, and then off the main roots are these thread-like white roots that go deep into the soil. And when you pull a plant up, when you replant it, many times you cut those small thread-like roots off. But it doesn't take long before they're re-established wherever it's planted. And we in America have our thread-like roots going in every direction around us. And so we have many loves. Part of the making of a man of God or a woman of God is making a decision that I will no longer allow my roots to go into darkness, but rather I am determined that my roots, that which gives me nurturance in my life, will go into Jesus Christ. They will go into the Word of God. You cannot sin and read the Word. The word will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this word. You cannot do both. The roots will go deep into the soil in which you plant yourself. So if you plant yourself in wickedness, your roots will grow in wickedness. Even on the outside, you will say, everything is fine. 
I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. Really? Where are your roots? Nobody sees your roots. Only you know where your roots are going. I have azalea bushes in the front of my house that are driving me crazy. Because these azalea bushes are sending out roots underground and they'll pop up three or four feet away from where that azalea plant is. And I pull that one up thinking it's just a plant that's planted there. And suddenly I'm ripping up a root that's going all the way back to that azalea plant. Only you know in your life where your roots are planted. But they will spring up and produce another plant in your life. One of the main problems I deal with day after day as I speak on the radio I receive phone calls from young men mainly, middle-aged men, who say to me, I've been a Christian for several years now, but I'm not able to overcome the sin that's in my life. I keep going back to the same old, same old. For some, it's sexual impurity. For some, it's alcoholism. For some, it's pornography. For some, it's you name it, it's there. Well, why are they going back to that sin? Fundamentally, it's because they have not yet made a final decision about where they are going to plant themselves. That has to be a conscious choice. And if sin keeps sweeping you away in your life, it's a clear sign that the work of redemption is incomplete in your heart. That you have not yet fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And so these roots are going out and things are springing up. Plants are growing around you. And they're demanding your time and and your attention. And you're being ripped away from Jesus until finally you say, I don't have time to read the scriptures. I don't even have time to get to church on time. I don't have time. If I'm going to survive, I have to do all of these things. Because your love is spread wide among all these different avenues. And your roots are going down in these and plants are springing up. And you're saying, where'd that come from? And where'd that come from? It came out of you as you put your roots into the soil, that were, the soil that was not Jesus Christ. So part of the task that we have in becoming men and women of God is to begin to identify where our roots are planted and begin to recognize the signs. If I am being swept away in my sin, it's because I have not yet fully dealt with the issue of where I want to be planted. And I have to make that fundamental decision, because it will determine the very course of my life. Many, many are going to see Jesus come, and they're going to look forward to Him, And they're going to say, I'm saved. The problem is they're only part-time Christians. There will be no part-time Christians in heaven. There will only be full-time believers in Christ. People who are planted in the soil of Jesus Christ. 
who are abiding in him, who are dwelling in him, who have been given to him. Now, there's a young man that I'd like to speak about. He'll illustrate what I'm talking about. He had older brothers. And he was watching. He was watching his father. And his father was struggling with whether or not he would be an honest man. His father was a dishonest man. His name was Jacob. His name meant heel grabber. And this little boy, Joseph, watched as his daddy struggled and maneuvered and manipulated. He watched his daddy have a fight with Uncle Laban. He watched as the men settled their differences and made a covenant of peace between them. And now he had to go and face another uncle, Uncle Esau. He watches as his daddy is terrified. He sees the fear. I'm sure he talked to his mother about what's daddy doing tonight, and she said he's praying. It wasn't praying like anything you and I would even begin to talk about. He had a fist fight with God. He wrestled with God all night. Blows, body slams. It was a physical fight with God. And when he finally figured out it was God he was fighting with, all he could do was hang on to him with all of his might and say, I won't let you go till you bless me. Then little Joseph watches as his daddy comes beaten, broken, limping, filthy, dirty from that fight with God. You know, sometimes we think it's the devil we have to be afraid of. I want to suggest for you it's probably God we need to be afraid of. Yes, we're going to fight with the devil. But God's the one who can bless us. And God's the one who will change our name from heel grabber to overcomer. After he meets Esau, little Joseph sees his father set up an altar. And he sees him pray. The second time, little Joseph sees his brothers rise up. He's now quite a bit older. He sees his brothers rise up and kill everyone for defiling their sister. In chapter 35 of Genesis, Then God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. And purify yourselves and change your clothes. In that day, they carried what was called pocket gods. 
Today we might refer to them as a rabbit's foot. You rub it for good luck. They believed these pocket gods had power. He said, get rid of your pocket gods. I wonder today would he say, get rid of your cell phones. I suspect today for many of you, your cell phones are your pocket gods. It's amazing to me how I see men and women everywhere with their heads bowed like this over their little telephone. It almost feels like worship to me. I'd like to get rid of my cell phone. I hate it. Because it always makes me available to people, but not to God. I have yet to have God answer my my telephone. Does God answer your cell phone? Can you text God on your cell phone? I don't think God likes text messages. (laughs) He wants the real deal. I heard one person say something very interesting about text messages. He said, you should only use your text message to arrange a meeting so that you can be face to face. I think he's right. There's a very difficult issue that all of us are being sucked into. It is an absolute lack of intimacy because we have thrown it under the bus of text messaging and social media. It has not made us more intimate with each other. It has not brought conversations into a new depth of understanding. It has done just the opposite for us. So that the sense of isolation and aloneness is greater today than it has ever been before in America. Because the very roots of our lives are shallow and quick and easy. People today can say things on a text message because it's easier. They don't want to say it face to face. Or they can say it on a social media format because they don't want to say it face to face. And in so doing, we lose the intimate interaction between us. These pocket gods can take many forms in our culture today. I want to be very aware of anything in my life that begins to block intimacy with other people or begins to separate or begins to cut me off from the Lord God of heaven. Anything that takes my time and my attention and draws me into darkness, I want to cut it off. I don't want it. I want to be brought more and more into Jesus Christ, not into darkness. 
And so Jacob says to his household, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Then come and let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. You understand in that culture what the ear ring meant. It meant you were a worldly person. It meant you were an Ishmaelite. And so he said, stop being like the Ishmaelites. We are the blessed ones. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that none of them pursued them. Verse 9 God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel, overcomer. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. See, now the promises of God are being poured out. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also gave to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And he called the place Bethel, the house of God. Little Joseph is watching and listening to the conversation between mom and dad. He's watching all of this that's going on and his heart is being influenced. It's time today to see the emergence of a Joseph company. A Joseph company is a small body of last day believers who have given themselves totally and completely to Jesus. It's a dangerous thing to give yourself completely to Jesus. It's a dangerous thing to pull your roots out of the world, to cut your roots off, and to begin to focus those into the person of Jesus Christ. Joseph is a young man of 17 years of age. He's a shepherd boy, as are his brothers and his father. The first indication that Joseph is beginning to understand who God is And what it means to serve this God of heaven, to be an overcomer like his daddy has become, is found in chapter 37. Verse 2. He, Joseph, brought their father a bad report about them, about his brothers. In other words, something has happened in his heart and in his life where he is not willing to compromise with wickedness. 17 years old. And he's saying, look, from now on, I am going to serve this God of heaven that my daddy serves. I'm not going to go the way of darkness. He has seen enough by the age of 17 that he's saying, I will walk 
with God. The first sign that a person has made a decision to walk with God is they begin to recognize the difference between themselves and the world. And they no longer allow themselves to enter into the darkness of the world. They begin to separate themselves by their real choices, saying, I won't go here, I won't do this, I see what's happening, and I don't want to be a part of it. I don't choose to walk in darkness. I don't choose to be morally unclean. I don't choose to lie. I don't choose to cheat. Even when it's to my advantage, I'm not going to cheat. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to speak the truth in love wherever I am. I'm not going to walk in darkness. When a person begins to get that resolve deep into their soul, you know God is moving in their heart and calling them into this Joseph company. The second sign of the Joseph company is verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And because he had been born in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Suddenly this person who is making a bad report about the actions of darkness will begin to be aware in his heart that he is loved by God. And he is blessed by God. And he has an ornamented robe to wear. He has Joseph's robe to wear. He no longer walks around feeling undressed. He now suddenly is walking around with a sense of dignity in his heart, knowing he is someone special to God, that God has put his hand on him and said, I have something for you, my son. I have something for you, my daughter. And there is a sense of direction. There is a vision of where I'm going. There is a recognition that now God has called me. I was sitting yesterday afternoon. I was going up to visit my, my daughters and my grandkids and their husbands. And I was quite a bit early. So there was a book that I wanted to finish reading. Heaven is for real. And I went in and got a coffee and sat down and I just began to, to read again. And suddenly, just unbidden, I became embarrassed because tears just began to flow down my face. Right there in the coffee shop. People looking at me like, what's going on over there? You know why I was weeping? I had this sudden, overwhelming understanding. God loves me. I don't know how to tell you in a way that it will get past all your defenses. To say to you, God knows who you are. He formed you in your mother's womb. He loves you. He knows your name. 
He knows the struggle of your heart. He knows the battle you've been going through with the devil. He knows that he has put his robe upon you, whether you recognize it or not. He knows that he has called you to be somebody special in his kingdom. He has an eternal plan for you. You were not an afterthought. You know, my brothers, I love them both today, but I didn't love them much when I was a kid. I'm the youngest of three. And they said to me, when mom and dad ran out of everything, they put their scraps together and you came out. So I always felt like a leftover. You know what? Today I don't feel like a leftover. I know God planned for my life. He ordained that I should be born. He planted in me a desire to walk in righteousness and holiness. You're not here by accident. You're here because God planted that same thing in you. Allow yourself to get past all of your cynicism and all of your hard-edged stuff and begin to let soak into your heart the reality that a rich, ornamented robe of spirituality has been placed around your shoulders and that God loves you. When you get to prison, you're going to need to have that robe to survive. When the discipline that my brother was talking about comes into your heart and you begin to be sorely tested with whether or not you will walk in righteousness, you will need the warmth of that robe around you in order to survive. I had a prophet. I was invited to go to a meeting and I sat in on the meeting. And after the meeting, this prophet, a godly man, He pointed me out in the congregation. He said, you, yeah, you right there. I I want to see you. And I came up to him after the service. He said, I didn't want to say this in front of everybody. You're wearing Joseph's robe. Wear it carefully or your brothers will stone you. I thought that was wisdom. Don't go around and boast about having the special robe of God's love around your life. Just know it's there. And that he's ordering your steps. And he doesn't want you to walk into darkness and plant your roots into wickedness. He's called you to resolve in your heart that you will bring a bad report about the darkness and about the wickedness of this world, and you're not going to walk in it. Resolve that in your heart, and that robe will be around you. Now, the third sign, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Your life will be a rebuke to others who will hate you because you will not engage with them in the same wickedness that their heart desires. And it's going to test everything you have to not be arrogant or proud or harsh or judgmental. 
It's going to take every ounce of spiritual energy you have to recognize that they're not angry with you. That it's not personal. That we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. But you will be an offense to others who will want you to drink and get drunk with them. They'll want you to go carouse with them. They'll want you to lie for them. They'll want you to cheat with them. They'll want you to do drugs with them. They'll want you to do all kinds of things with them. And when you say no, some of you on your jobs may be asked to do something that's dishonest. And when you humbly and kindly say, I'm sorry, if I cheat with that, you'll know if I get an opportunity, I'll cheat you. And the only way you can know that I'll be faithful to you is if you see me being faithful to others. So I can't cheat for you. It might make them angry, and you might get fired. The third sign of becoming a man of God is that your life will be a rebuke to others because you will not talk like the world, You will not act like the world. Your language will not be filled with cursing and slang. It will be refined. It will not be the conversation of the world. The fourth sign is found in verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, please understand. Joseph, in his desire to be absolutely honest, said whatever was happening to him. He had no sense of reserve. He just opened his mouth and whatever was happening flowed out. It's called immaturity. And I've done it. Where you just open your mouth and say what's happening, and then a car wreck happens down the road because of what you said. With maturity, we learn there are just certain things we don't talk about with others. God didn't tell him to share his dream. But he shared it. And it made his brothers mad. But number four is not immaturity. Number four is Joseph had a dream. If you will walk through these steps of where you make an absolute determination to separate yourself from all wickedness, that you will plant your life in Jesus Christ, that you will not allow the roots of your life to go into darkness. If you will receive the rich robe of God's love in your life, if you will walk that out in righteousness before God and before men, God will speak to you. 
Some of you have said to me, God doesn't talk to me. If God does not talk to you, it's because you have not sufficiently walked through these simple steps. If you want God to speak to you, you're going to have to meet the conditions for him to speak with you. Look carefully later this afternoon or this evening at Romans, the 12th chapter. You find there the condition is that you must lay your life on the altar of burnt offering. And when your life, it says, is laid on the altar of burnt offering, you can know and approve what God's will is because he will speak to you. Now, he had another dream. He told his whole family about this dream. He said, listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, verse 10, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, please hear what I'm going to say to you. When you've determined that you're going to follow Jesus, you have separated yourself from the world. You have heard, as some of us have heard very directly from the Lord, go and sin no more. Don't walk in sin anymore. And I would guess that most of you in this room have heard God say that to you. Walk clean. Do not sin against me. And you begin to walk that way with God. And God begins to put that robe of his righteousness around you, that Joseph's robe. He puts that robe around you and then he begins to speak to you. And he begins to breathe promises. It may come by a dream. It may come by an impression. It may come as you're reading the scriptures. And it gets quickened in your heart. And you say, yes, God is going to do that. The greatest trial of your life that will bring you into full maturity with Jesus are the secret words that he whispers to you. They will become for you the most painful part of your walk with Jesus. The word that Jesus whispered to me when I was a child has disciplined my whole life. It was based on that word that I made decision after decision. There were times when I rebelled against that word God spoke to me, and I said, that wasn't God, that was a figment of my imagination. And I tried to get away from it, and he came after me, and he severely disciplined me, and he brought me back right in line. Sometimes it took him several years, but he did it. And now finally, I'm in line. I'm not walking in sin against God. But that word that he spoke to me is like, like a ball and chain on me. And I tell you, as I was waiting for the service today, the devil's whispering to me. And he's saying, you've wasted your whole life. You wasted your whole life on a word of God when you were a child. How stupid is that? 
And all I can say to the devil is, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. And he comes and he says, you really believe that revival is going to come to Washington, D.C.? What's your evidence? And all I can answer is I have the evidence of the testimony of Jesus to me when I was a child. And I believe his word. And I stand and I won't be moved. I believe what Jesus has said to me. Now some of you need to go back in your childhood or in your youth. And you need to ask, what did Jesus whisper to me? What was God's promise to me? And have you cast that promise aside? You need to recapture a full sense of Joseph's coat about your life so that you know you're surrounded by the love of God. That you're walking clean before God. Some of you have not walked clean before God, even as I have not through some of the years of my life. God had to reach down and pull me out. I was ready to totally throw God and the church and pastoring, totally throw it out and just go make money and live my life. God reached down in that barrel and he grabbed me and he said, no, you're not, you're mine. And he's taken me through the most severe discipline, financial discipline, emotional discipline, even the loss of my wife. I've gone through the most severe discipline. All of that to prepare me for what he whispered into my heart when I was a child. You've got to have a sense of that robe of God's love around your life and a sense of direction and purpose, knowing that God has spoken to you and he's told you what he's going to do with your life, that your life is not just chance here and there going this way and that way being pulled here and there, influenced by circumstances. Rather, you have to have a firm understanding. The robe of Christ's righteousness is around you. That Joseph's coat of many colors is around you. And now what has God called you to? What has he whispered into your heart? Don't throw it away. It's God's plan for you. And if you don't know... Go and repent before the Lord and say, I didn't catch it when you spoke. Will you say it again to me? Will you speak to me about the purpose of my life? Will you tell me what you want to do with me? Will you order my steps? And as you walk clean before God and you don't walk into rebellion and sin against him, He'll whisper that into your heart again. He'll plant in your heart what he wants to accomplish through you. Now, please, when you look at me today, do I look like a dumb little farm boy? No, I'm dressed in a nice suit. My hair's cut. I'm articulate. You know what, as a little farm boy, what I look like? Hair down over my ears. Bib overhauls terrified to speak to anybody, so shy, I couldn't speak. I walked around almost totally silent all the time. 
until my dad took a big box and put it behind the pulpit one service when he was supposed to preach. And he said, my son Raymond is going to preach today. And I must have been maybe eight years of age. He went down, he took me out of the congregation, and he carried me. My dad was a big man, 6'3", 220, all muscle. He took me and he stood me behind that pulpit. And I looked out at that congregation, and suddenly the Spirit of God just poured out of me. They'd never heard me speak that much in my life. And when I came off that pulpit, I was the same shy little farm boy. My brothers used to call me bonehead. They said if I had enough brains, if my brains were dynamite, they said I wouldn't have enough to blow my nose. They said all kinds of cruel things. I love my brothers, you understand. But you know what? Today, God's made me into a different person. God will prepare your life with experience, with education, with whatever's necessary for you to accomplish what he whispers into your heart. But to hear it, you have to have on that robe, Joseph's robe of many colors. You have to forget about yourself, and you have to know that God loves you. If I could have, I would have preached a sermon today of just three words. God loves you. You've got to know that. Because it's that love that sustains you through the battering and the bruising and the discipline of dying to all of your sin. And being transformed into his likeness. So that he can use you to accomplish what he wants to do with your life. Joseph became an awesome father. To the whole nation of Israel. He became a father to his brothers. He became a father to the nation of Egypt. There's archaeological evidence now that's being unearthed right here in America, in the Grand Canyon, in caves, showing that Joseph traveled from Egypt all the way to America, to the Grand Canyon. There was a second Egyptian center in the West, I mean, when you think about what God did with this man, it's absolutely stunning. He functioned as the Pharaoh of the most powerful nation in the world. What has God whispered into your heart? God wants to do something with you. But you're going to have to go through that generator You're going to have to go through that creation process of complete redemption.
and training and discipline to be able to accomplish what God has called you to. I'm still in the midst of that discipline. I'm still right in the middle where I could just throw it off, even at my age and at the place I am in my life. I could get discouraged and cast off the love of God and say, I'm out of here. I will not do that by the grace of God. Don't you do it either. Don't throw off the love of God. Don't choose to walk into sin for some cheap gratification and destroy what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. We're not here for ourselves, we're here for others for the salvation of others. He's given you different gifts. He's training you in different ways. Let him have his way. Lord Jesus, would you have your way? Would you look with mercy on this small fellowship? Yes, and on those who are not here with us today. Lord, would you look with mercy upon us? And would you assure every person in this congregation of that robe of many colors, of that righteousness that only comes from you, Jesus? Let there be a firm and clean distinction between our hearts and the world that we would no longer be sucked in or seduced or that we would no longer listen to the devil's lies. But we would say, get thee behind me, Satan. Lord, have the victory today in our hearts. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Oh
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, his glory.